Hey, it's Margot Tantau here, host of Windowsill Chats. I am so glad you're here. I have some tales to tell, some interesting stories to discover, and I'm glad you're here to do that with me. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. In the trenches, figuring out what the best way is to get something done, how to get something made, how to get your creative self noticed, how to make the best of a situation. And so I'm here to bring those stories to you and see if there's anything you can pull out from it. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet little corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble Like I need a friend Won't you come and sit in my windowsill again Spin our favorite records Discuss the latest trends Won't you come and sit in my windowsill again Hey everyone! Thanks for joining me in my sunny windowsill. This week, I am really pleased to be talking to someone I consider a dear friend. She is also someone that many of you have requested an interview or a conversation with. And when we were kind of delving into that, we thought, how should we do this a little differently? I'm talking about Lisa Congdon, who is an extremely accomplished illustrator and author. She is best known for her colorful graphic drawings and her hand lettering. One of the other things that makes Lisa stand out is the fact that she kind of came to this chapter of her life, this creative chapter, a little bit later in life. And she's not afraid to talk about it. And as a matter of fact, she has helped thousands of people do the same. So I thought we'd take a slightly different approach today and do kind of a audience question format. So I put it out there on the interwebs and got loads of questions for you. So I'm really excited to introduce Lisa. You know, I love that she says things like start where you are and gives kind of grace and freedom to everyone to just start and dream big, you know, figure out where you'd like to end up and start and get there and then keep sharing what you do. You know, those are those are things that Lisa does amazingly well. And if you just take a, away a little bit of that advice, I promise you'll be able to do something you love. One of the other things that is something I love about Lisa is her stand for social justice. And you'll see every day, if you follow Lisa and her stories, she brings to the forefront what's happening in, in positive ways and ways that make you think. And she stands for other artists. She stands for what's happening. She, she helps me think how to make a difference in the world as well. So I appreciate that voice that Lisa has. Here she is to share a little bit more of it with you. And we have a, a little something exciting planned. So if you listen to the end, you'll get a little tidbit of what that is. Welcome back to Windowsill Chats with my friend Lisa Congdon. Lisa, I am so glad to be talking to you this morning. Anytime is a great time to talk to you, but thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting. Yeah, it is. We've been talking about it for a long time. Here we are. So my dear friend, Lisa Congdon, who lives just two and a 
two and a half hours down the road from me, but it seems so far right now. So I'm just, I really appreciate being able to have this time together. And I thought we would kind of let people know how our paths crossed. And, you know, thanks to Lilla, really, I think it started there. I think so too. Yeah. At that time, you were being represented by our, by Lilla. And I certainly, actually, no, I, f- I found you on Instagram. That's how it all started. <laughs> Come to think of it. <laughs> Come to think of it. We started chatting through Instagram and then meeting in person was at Surtex. Yeah, but I think maybe you you figured out who I, who I was through Lilla Rogers. I can't Probably. remember. And just so your listeners know, I used to be represented by Lilla Rogers. Yes. Who, she was my agent and Margot and Lilla worked together on many projects. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, yeah, and then- I, I think I became acquainted with you and your name through Lilla. And then we, I think, did we meet for the first time at Surtex? We did. And we were all, we were already then like, how can we, what can we make together? What product line can we make? You know, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. We, for a while we start. were, um, we were scheming. This was way back in, oh gosh, 2013 or 14. We were like going to try to start a business together and then. That never product. happened, but yeah. Because when you when you think you want to make product, there's so much involved in that. So we just keep, you know, collaborating on the along the way in different ways. And I did something this week. Somebody posted, oh, it was you. <laughs> Hello. You posted your Still We Rise piece of art that you had done. Yes. And that is a fundraiser. It's a, can you tell a little bit about that group mm-hmm. and what they do? Because I'm yeah. so impressed. Um, so Still We Rise was founded by Lindsay Meyer Hurley, and she's this incredible force of a woman who, after the 2016 election, started these online fundraisers for progressive causes. And I don't know what number auction this one was this week, but let's just say it's been a lot. And she's raised an insane amount of money over the last few years. And I have participated not in all of them, but in many of them. And I think I was actually in the first one. And I like to donate an original piece of art because it's not something that I offer very often, unless I'm having a show or something, or occasionally I have a flash sale on my website. And so, yeah, so I donated a piece and guess who with the high bidder was this time? Mark I know, you know, <laughs> it's such a good cause. And the piece that Lisa donated, and we'll put it in the show notes, show notes is a beautiful floral flower poppy-ish and it says never stop seeking and I just thought that um those are important words to remember yeah exactly I think it's at the core of like what I try to how I try to live every day and I should also add that Margot this will not be Margot's first Lisa Congdon piece of art I think you own more of my art than anyone um wow that's might be one other person (laughs) Uh, my I former chiropractor it. with whom I did trade um, <laughs> might own more than you, but he owns old works. So it's not as valuable, I think, as the work that you own. But anyway, um, yeah, Margot's house is filled with my work. So every time I come to visit her, I have to snap pictures of how she arranges it with all the other beautiful really things fun. in her house. Well, yeah. some of it is, you know, because of things we've done, you know, because we work together on projects and literally this one, I was like, oh. Man, I've also of, gifted you a few things. You so. certainly have. Yes, I have yeah. fabulous, like just have some new ceramics. Yeah. But I walked into my bedroom and I had the little picture in, on my phone and I held it up to, and I was like, yep, need that right there. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know how you have room for it anymore. I know I live in you might 770 have to square feet. <laughs> oh, anyway. 
Any. Yeah, you have a gift for making things not look so cluttered. So. <laughs> that's tricky. I, it's, yeah, it is. Tricky. That's a challenge. But anyway, yes, we've we've made some cards together, and we've had certainly ideas of a lot of other things to make together. But the fun thing is, Lisa will sometimes say, you know, she she, she susses all these things out on herself, but I'm, I'm by yourself. But you've you've said like, hey, I found this really cool enamel company. Do you know anything about them? And we'll kind of collaborate and, 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 and like, have you heard about this person or that? Yeah. Company? I mean, when I, when I signed with Narada Hansen, um, mm-hmm. for my textiles line for my fabric, the first thing I did before I signed on the dotted line was I called Margo <laughs> and said, you know, this person, and she said, yes, do <laughs> so it. yeah. And yeah, do it. And so anyway, yeah, she was one of the people that sent me a note this morning and said, can't wait. So <laughs> One of the things we did that was different, um, you know, when I knew I was going to start this podcast, of course, I knew I wanted Lisa on right away. And um, but you've been on so many podcasts and told your story and which is, you know, wonderful and ever changing and helps so many people in so many ways. But I just started thinking, gosh, how can we how can we share you out into the airwaves in a little bit different way? You know, how can mm-hmm. we include the audience? How can we be more specific? And we'll talk more about that as we go. But um, I have a lot of audience questions. So I thought I would dig into that. Yeah, let's morning. do it. Let's do it. Okay. So my first question is from Bella and Bella lives in Canada, which is, she lives in Montreal and she has an art name. Her artist name is Zella, which I absolutely love. Ooh. Bella is nine and she has taken your Skillshare class. And I really love her question because it's not necessarily an art Skillshare question. or creative bug? Well, I think. Oh, she, she said, said Skillshare? Skillshare, but maybe it's. Oh, I only have bug. one class on Skillshare. So that's impressive. Yeah. And it's about illustrating a, uh, following a creative brief. It I is. Mean, well, Check Skillshare, check Creative Bug. We'll always link to those. But one of your creative <laughs> classes she has taken. And I love this because she says it's not an art question, but I think it's an artist question. How did you fit in as a kid? Uh, um, you know, that's such an interesting question, Bella. I, I think that when we're kids, we imagine that um, everyone else is feels comfortable and, and has a sense of fitting in and that we're the only one who doesn't. <laughs> But actually what I learned as I grew older was that nobody, nobody really feels very confident and nobody really feels like they fit in. Like everyone to a certain extent feels a little bit um, like an outsider, even like the popular girls, you know, Mm -hmm. like the reason that um, they're so popular is because they're trying really hard to fit in. Um, So everyone's a little bit insecure. And that's something that I like to remind myself and that I think every young person should remind themselves. Um, um, Not that it's not great to have confidence. Um, In fact, it is great to have confidence in who you are. And I think that the key for me um, growing up was remembering that being myself was the most important thing I could do for other people, right? Mm. Like the best way to make friends. And I maybe learned that the hard way, but when you are yourself, you allow other people to be themselves too, right? Like when you show your sense of humor or your quirkiness, um, that allows other people to to be themselves and that gives other people permission to be themselves. And um, 
I didn't always do that perfectly when I was a kid, but I like to think I was a nice kid. I had friends. I wasn't, um, fortunately, I wasn't bullied or teased a ton, although I was a little bit. And actually somebody who bullied me when I was little found me on Facebook and apologized to me oh, a few wow. years ago. There you go. Um, and then we re- kind of like healed our relationship. Aww. I mean, we were kids and she was kind of mean to me. Um, but so that was really interesting um, that she took responsibility when she was mm. in her forties. <laughs> a good lesson too. <laughs> yeah, it is. But um, yeah, being yourself is so important. And also it helps you to find your people because Um, Mm -hmm. when you're yourself, you, and you are not shy about sharing what you're interested in, whether it's reading books or making art or sports or whatever, you'll find the people who are interested in the same things as you. And those are ultimately the people you want to be your friends anyway. Right. And I would say that goes on into adulthood. adulthood. (laughs) Yes. Your whole life. life. It's a life message. And you know, it, it, I feel like I know for sure. Some of my very best friends have always been far away and we're connected by our likes and our, yeah. what, what we have in common. And that's, and then yeah. I'm talking to one right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Here's a good yeah. one. How do you ensure that experimentation and play are an active part of your creative past or of, of your creative practice? Do you do this with intention? Yeah, I do. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, I feel like it's a const, if I'm in a battle with myself or my art practice, that is really the battle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really lucky in that I get paid, now I get paid a lot of money to make things. People hire me to draw pictures and create things that go on packaging and on apparel and on now sneakers and, um, all kinds of fun things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Things that people use every day. I get to like pour my creativity onto those things. And that is so fun and exciting. And I really enjoy the process. But when you're doing work that the predominant amount of your work is art directed by somebody else Mm -hmm. and you're being paid to do it, there is a certain amount of... um, sure, there's a certain amount of experimentation and there's a certain amount of joy and curiosity that that is part of that process. But, um, but it can also often be stifling and frustrating. And, you know, a lot of the, that kind of work is a lot of back and forth and rounds of changes. And, yeah. you know, the, sometimes the joy gets zapped from it. Um, and so I found that it's really important to make space for work that no one else has to approve, work that um, is messy and doesn't have to be perfect. And, you know, another thing that comes with having a, a career that is, you know, a lot of paid work means that um, I'm just busy, right? And so yeah. my days are taken up with client meetings and now they're all on Zoom too. So they're all like, kind of, you know, I really get to know my clients and it's kind of an intense process. And so I've found that, um, having a life that makes space for that work, which I've worked really hard to build that career, but also makes space for experimentation, adventure, 
um, and also just relaxing, just downtime. Like I am sitting in my basement right now because I had to create a home office for myself here. Mm. Um, it's in my guest room where Marco has actually yeah, stayed. Like many, many practically lived here for a while. <laughs> yeah. And um, behind me on this table are stacks of books. And yeah. one of the ways that I like to spend time when I'm not, um, you know, doing client work is not just making art and experimenting, but like reading about other yeah. artists and looking for inspiration in old, you know, books about graphic design. And um, so the past year I have been trying to take a sabbatical and it's been a little messy because beginning of the year I was diagnosed with breast, breast cancer and I had to go through cancer treatment. So I was kind of stressed out about that. Yeah. And then um, I had some projects from 2020 that I was struggling to wrap up and, um, and then the pandemic hit as soon as I was done with cancer treatment yeah. and everything got kind of turned on its head. And so I can honestly say I only had two full months of really not working very much at all, um, mm -hmm. if, if at all. And that was like July and August of, of 2020. And what I discovered during that time is that that time for experimentation and relaxation and absorbing new inspiration is so important. Like, um, I almost forgot how important it was. Mm. And so now that I'm back to working on client work, I have been working really hard and intentionally on not taking on too much work so that I still have space for all of that stuff that makes you excited to wake up in the morning. Right. And like, and so right now I'm kind of working on some personal projects and Oh, for the last year, I've been like experimenting with ceramics and it's still going kind of terribly yeah. because oh, I think every time I put something, I love them. Thank you, Margo. But I, every time I put something in the kiln, I'm, I'm like, it looks so perfect. And then it comes yeah. out and it looks terrible. So that's the process. Such of a ceramics. process. But, yeah. Yeah. But like, I have to remind myself when I try new mediums, I, you know, that this, I'm just a beginner and like I'm learning and it's going to take me, you know, it took me years to get really good at painting with gouache. It's taken me a few years to get really good at digital drawing. It's going to take me a few years to get good at ceramics, if yeah. not more. Right. And so that's the, the, the part about experimentation that I have to remind myself is, yeah, it's make, it's good to make time for it, but it's also important to remember that if you're trying something new, you're not going to be good at it right away. And that yeah. It, it requires effort and continually showing up. It's a really good reminder, especially when we do feel like we have a handle on a, a creative aspect of our life. Like you, you know what you want to do when you put that brush to the paper that the, like there is a learning curve. It's, it's humbling. It is. And I, I think it's so important for people in my shoes, like people who are really good at what they do to always, you know, continually push themselves out of their comfort zone by trying something new. Cause I, it's, it keeps you humble. And, um, somebody wrote me an email the other day or a message on Instagram and thanked me for always admitting when I'm starting something or when, mm. when something is a first, mm. whether it's in my athletic life, like I'm going to be riding my first gravel race or cause I'm also a cyclist. Um, or talking about how ceramics are going really badly for me, you know, like, and I, I realize people need to hear that. I think we envision that there are like these certain people on the internet that we follow. Everything is so feels so kind of done and perfect. And yeah. um, we need to hear from people that they're struggling and that they're, 
experimenting and that they're taking risks and yeah. I think that's the part and, and I've talked to several people um you know one-on-one conversations and other people that I interact with online artists who who get really stuck on that like oh I can't get there because that person already does it and it's shiny and perfect or I know that's a process and I understand it and I've heard it but I can't see how I fit into that or everything looks like mine already but I just try and remind people that their story is their own their path is their own which means their it makes their art their own as well and it is great to hear people like you over and over again be as honest as you are yeah and i can relate to that too like in the beginning i was like oh is my work in the beginning i'm talking about like 10 years ago when i was first starting out is my work too much like this person's or or am i trying too hard to be like this person and maybe i was but the more art i made the more my art became my own and that's why you just got to keep showing up like in my book i wrote this book called find your artistic voice and one of the things that i talk about is that fact that being influenced by other artists or feeling like your work is never as good as other artists is actually really normal and kind of a healthy part of the path, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately you wanna veer away from all your influences and you you do wanna create your own thing, but it's really hard to get there without starting there first, right? Yeah. And yeah. Um, the important part is like being cognizant of that and then really pushing yourself as far as you can into your own corner and um, part of the way to do that is to, is to experiment, is to make time for personal work, is to show up every day and draw, even if it's not a paid client job, you know, or a gallery show that you have, like the, the road to finding your voice is, is actually just showing up and making art every day, even if like 90% of it is crappy, because that 10% that's not crappy is what you're going to latch onto and start doing more of, you know? And if you do it every day, you, you get that smoothness, you know, your bumps yeah. smooth out, I should say. And they do. They do. Eventually you get into the flow, which is, it doesn't ever last for more than a few hours, but even if you have the flow for like a few hours every week, that's magical. Yeah. I have a, a question of my own to tack back onto mm-hmm. the sabbatical. Cause I know this year was going to be that. And do you, th- <laughs> life, um, but do you feel like you're going to give yourself, try and give yourself a couple of months a year like that? Or like, how are you going to plug that back in? Yeah. Yes. That's such a great question. And um, so I think one of the things I learned this year is that having more balance is so important um, because this is, while it was a kind of crappy year in many respects, it, it was a year where I actually had the most balance in terms of like not feeling completely stressed out all of the time and not working 10 hour days, seven days a week. Um, And I realized I need that. I'm happiest when I have space between projects and, um, and I'm, I'm so committed to that, that I am very judicious about what I say yes to and what I commit to and having boundaries around my time and going forward. I'm not exactly sure how it's going to look. That's something that I'm trying to figure out right now. Mm-hmm. but I do feel like either I need to take a couple of months off or I once knew this woman who took every, every six weeks, she would block off a week where she, I don't know how well that would work for me because my work is Projects. so client and mm-hmm. project driven, which are very unpredictable, but I think there are ways to sort of structure your time so that you have um, 
gaps and that you use those gaps to replenish. Um, And so, yes, 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 yes. And it seems like if like, um, we have a mutual friend, Leslie Mackey, who works really hard and then she takes August off for personal projects. And I feel like, um, if you set that out for far enough advance, you, we, us life people, you know, if you set something on your calendar like that, then you can plan those client projects about around it. And you, you get to say, Ooh, I can do this at that time. Or I just wondered yeah. because it seems like, yeah, I mean, it's like, I almost feel like gypped. every year I should, every year I should say I'm taking a sabbatical and then yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll just take a sabbatical for the rest of my life. And then I'll end up maybe working 50% of the time, which is you know, actually not I'm a bad re- idea. Yeah. I'm really lucky because um, I have so much passive income that the client work is just icing on the cake. So I don't actually, I do it because I love it. And because, you know, um, sometimes it pays a lot of money, which, yeah. uh, let's face it, I like the yeah. money, but, um, yeah. so, but I have this shop, um, online that I could live off easily live off, um, what I make from the shop. And I have a, an employee who I just recently became a full-time salaried employee, um, who is my, now my like head of retail operations. And so I don't really even like, I make the work that goes on things that get sold in the shop, but like the shop really, she runs everything for me. Mm -hmm. And I don't sometimes during the holidays, like after we get off the call today, Margo, I'm going out to help Amy pack and ship orders, but normally I don't really have very much to do with that anymore. So I feel really lucky in that I can be, I'm at this place in my career where I can be really picky about the work that I take where a lot of people can't take a sabbatical because, you know, 10 years ago, I couldn't have either because every single thing I did went to pay my living. This is the first time you've done this. Yeah. And I can now, I probably have been in a position to do it for a few years, but I finally got relaxed enough about it that, that I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, um, Holly asked a good question that segues into this because of organizing your time. Um, How do you organize yourself to accomplish so much systems, software, and assistance? And we know you now have a full-time, that's wonderful, Mm -hmm. um, fantastic person, but, you know, and that, that you worked up to, but do you have, and you have a great, your Skillshare class talks about this actually. Oh no. Creative life. Sorry. You're um, <laughs> I yeah, switched yeah, yeah. to myself. Sorry. Too many, <laughs> too many platforms. Too your many creative platforms. Life class talks mm-hmm. about that. So yeah, I have a class on creative life called workflow time management, productivity and time management for creatives. And there's a link to it on my website, but it's kind of my system for organizing projects and my time. And I, I use it every day. It's really good. I've taken this class. Have taught thousands of people. So I recommend, and it's pretty affordable and it goes on sale constantly. So it's one of their best-selling classes. So if even if you just go to the site and go to best-selling classes and it's the system that I developed that includes a sort of like overall workflow document, which is a spreadsheet. I love a good spreadsheet where I sort of capture everything I'm responsible for so that it's out of my head and it's written down. Because I think so many times what causes us to be stressed is actually that we're carrying things around in our head that we're worried we're going to forget mm-hmm. or that we know we're supposed to do something, but we can't remember what it is because we didn't write it down. And often, even when we write things down, it's in this sort of haphazard way and we're not capturing the details in one place. And then we're flipping through papers and notebooks and our phone to try to figure out what that thing is that we're supposed to do. Um, 
And then from that kind of overall workflow document, I keep a, um, well, right now it's a kind of a disorganized um, to-do list, but typically it's like a every, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to-do list. Um, and it's a what I call a rolling to-do list because if you don't finish something, you assign yourself a manageable amount of tasks in a day. And if you don't finish something, it rolls to the next day mm -hmm. so that it doesn't get lost. And then there's also an element of time blocking. So I set the timer for myself, especially when I'm in a period of needing to be really productive because I've committed to a lot of projects mm -hmm. and I give myself breaks and I'll switch gears so that, you know, I pay attention to multiple things during the day in these sort of very tight blocks of time. And then I end the day feeling like I've accomplished a lot because I've, I've kind of touched a lot of things and made progress on a lot of things. Yeah. And I, I always remember thinking, gosh, I really, you're, you respect your time. I've always felt like you you call out what time you have and you respect that time. And I, I've always um, admired that. And then when that class came along, it was just like, it's just nice to hear the whole concept is how, how you lay yeah. that out. It's and really I think good. another important part, you know, you mentioned earlier that I have an employee and like mm -hmm. not everybody, you know, can afford to pay someone. And I started off with just like literally a few hours a week before I, you know, gave someone a, you know, spend years of, working with people. And Amy has been with me for over three years, I think. And, you know, to the point where I actually could offer her this mm -hmm. full-time salaried position. She's also incredible. So it was a, a, me just knowing I had found a person I did not want to lose. So I was yeah. willing to offer her a yeah. lot, but yeah, anyway, being able to delegate is also such a critical part of managing time. Big one. Yeah, for sure. Here's a good one. This comes from Omniflux and I'm sorry, I don't know your other name. Was it, she was inspired by you to start digital painting. Now it's hard to put aside the convenience of digital to create analog works. How do you think about this and how do you get around it? Girl, I have the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So three years ago, three and a half years ago now, I had a really bad problem with like tendonitis in my right arm. And it was because I was drawing analog, but then scanning, I was like drawing or painting with gouache or ink, scanning things and then manipulating them in Photoshop. And, and I hated working on a Wacom tablet because it Mm -hmm. Like Wacom tablets are like not, you have yeah. to get really, your dexterity is, people who do it are amazing to me that because you're drawing on a tablet, but you're looking at your computer screen. Yeah. It's not right. Totally intuitive. Um, it's not. And I was really struggling with it to the point where it's even making me kind of motion sickness, mm -hmm. feel motion sickness. And so I ended up, I bought this like really expensive Wacom Cintiq, which I've now given to my niece, but um, who's, who's in design school, but, and she loves it. But I was just like, I can't use the Wacom. It just, oh, it was taking me forever. And so what I would do is like minute, I would edit my work on my computer, on my laptop with a trackpad. Oh God. So you can imagine oh what that was God. doing to my right arm. Yeah. Like the repetitive motion of like swiping oh and moving. And it was also shaky and like my, I was not able to edit very well. And so I used to have, a, there was used to be this group of women um, here in Portland that I used to get together with for this ladies drawing night. And a couple of the gals in the group had 
these like iPads and we're drawing in pr- this program called Procreate. And, yeah. and I was always so anti-digital drawing for whatever reason. And they were like, Lisa, you really would benefit from this because it's ergonomically way better for you than what, how, than your process is. Your process is A, taking way too long and, you know, B, you're ruining your arm. And so I went to the sports doctor, he concurred. And so I got, I bought one. And at first I was like, this, uh, this is so weird. And then I just fell in love and I kind of figured out the brushes and the colors and the like ways of manipulating my work. And then I was just started working so much faster and I had so much dexterity and my drawing skills improved because I wasn't just starting over every single time because you can like undo things so quickly. I've watched you. I love watching you do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's fun. Um, And then I got sort of so consumed in it that I stopped using gouache or ink at all. And then I've reached a place where I really have craved um, analog again. And so, you know, like I had a show this year at a gallery and I, I made a lot of big paintings for that. And those are impossible to do on a I mean, I, I would sketch out what I wanted to paint on the iPad, but then I would make the actual painting with, with acrylic. And I did a lot of collage and quilting and ceramics. And I've managed to sort of dive back into analog work again. Um, and I bought these really beautiful watercolors from Case for Making, which makes the best watercolors in the universe. Hmm. They're all like um, natural hand handmade pigment watercolors. Love that. And um, they're not cheap, but a grown ass lady and I can buy what I want. So I bought like the $400 set and, um, and those are so gorgeous that I like the piece you just bought for me at the auction, Margo was made with those. And, Mm. um, so actually behind me on my table is like my big box of, um, analog supplies. And I bought some big sketchbooks. And so I've been getting back into messing around with watercolor because you know, digital tools are great. And they're I, like with um, Adobe Fresco, uh, Fresco and some of these programs, like you can make things look like watercolor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there, yeah. if you have enough skill, you can mimic um, like analog tools, but you really can. to me, there's nothing like the smell of paint or like the messiness or the sort of challenge of it is what mm-hmm. I missed, you know, that I that I can't just whip things out and cut and paste and right. duplicate, you know, like you have to slow down to use it. Yes. You can't go fast. And I like having this option of going fast if I need to mm-hmm. and working mm-hmm. digitally if I need to, but also like slowing down and being messy and having my work be a little bit more unfinished and wonky looking. And so it really is just like a muscle that I think needs to be worked and, you know, look, if you love digital drawing and you never want to pick up a paintbrush again, that's fine. Yeah. Don't feel guilty about <laughs> yeah, it. Exactly. But if you feel your, if you feel yourself, like there's nothing wrong with you if you do that, but if you feel yourself craving going back to paint or ink or pastel or whatever, I really encourage you to make the time to do that because it, it does use a different part of your brain and it does force you to slow down and be more present with your work. I think it really does. I think, and it's hard. It's the convenience of, you know, the iPad is, is one thing and, you know, traveling with it and just having, being able to do it and multitask, which I know we're not really doing, but you know, if you're sitting watching TV, you can do that, but there's something about having to 
wash a brush out, having to dab in this color and that color, having to use a pair of scissors or whatever it is. That's like, it's just equally a, a beautiful process that brings, you know, takes you somewhere else. And I, yeah, it's I good agree. to be all right with whatever, but I agree. I'm glad you're dipping your brush in. Um, here, I have so many questions. We're just going to have to do this for months. <laughs> um, my friend Jenna, she would love to hear about networking as a creative person when you know little about what is possible or what companies even exists to try and approach. Top ways to discover the creative company universe players when you're not a part of it and how to engage with them. And I think, you know, if you if you look back before you before you were being approached with so many, I, th I feel like it's part of making yourself your own brand and who you interact with along the way. What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, here's some, some things that might feel like no brainers, but well, first of all, pay attention on social media, like who are other artists tagging um, when they're, you know, like when they do collaborate with companies, like who are those companies? Um, take note of them, start following them. Um, when you're out at a stationery store or a bookstore um, and you see a product that you like, flip it over and look at who made it. Who's the company? Um, go home, look them up, research them. Um, those are just really maybe simple ways and maybe those are things you already do. But in terms of discovering brands that you are, you know, could become your dream brand, um, I'm still, I mean, I feel like I know just about every company out there that makes cute, cool books and products. And I don't, I mean, literally every here day comes I'm another discovering. One here comes another one. Yeah. And some of them are new and some of them are just, you know, folks that have been around forever that I just didn't pay attention to, or I had no idea about, or maybe they're Japanese or, right. um, you know, British. And so they're new on the U S market or whatever. So just really paying attention and, and writing things down and you know, I, I, I used to make a list. I don't do this really anymore, but I, I'm a big kind of list maker and like mind mapper. And I used to make lists of dream clients and dream projects. Um, and even if you don't necessarily have a, a client, a specific client in mind, like a category of work that you want to do. Um, so somebody asked me earlier this year, what was a, kind of area I'd never worked in that was a dream area or a dream project. Mm. And I said, I, I, and I, if you, if you follow me, you know, I'm super athletic and I'm always like involved in some kind of physical challenge, <laughs> whether it's mm -hmm. on my bike or, you know, I, you know, I can't run anymore because I have arthritis in my knee, but I used to run. And so anyway, I, I was like, you know, I have this project to work with like a big sportswear brand. And, um, sure enough, that like came along for me. So I'm not saying saying it out loud actually works all of the time, but like say it out loud. Cause it can't hurt. Like I would love yeah. to work with this brand. I would love to work with this brand, or I would love to make this kind of product. Um, and so even if you don't have a specific company in mind, just putting it out there, like not just to yourself and your friends or your universe. partner, um, but like say it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did, and I'm kind of embarrassed about this a little bit, <laughs> but before Instagram, I was on Twitter and I had a blog. And so those coupled together kind of made an Instagram, like 
I would um, write on my blog, like post pictures of my work, and then I would link to them on Instagram. This is, I'm sorry, not not Instagram, Twitter. This is before you could even put pictures on Twitter. Cause like, I think for a while you You couldn't add images. And uh, one time I tweeted my three of my dream clients. (laughs) And one was Cloud9 Fabrics. One was Hagi and West, uh, which is a wallpaper Wallpaper. company. And then I can't remember what the third one was. And two of the three of them contacted me and I went into contract with them within a few months. And this was way back in like 2011 or 12. So, you know, a long time ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is back when I was kind of, now I'm I'm being more reactive. Like I'm not pursuing work because except for like putting out to the universe that I want to work in a certain genre of, you know, product. But, Mm -hmm. um, but back in the day, I had to be really proactive about trying to get work. And so um, that, that was really, I don't know if that would work today, but (laughs) you know, you never know. Um, You know, I have um, somebody that's been listening to the podcast actually, who said she was inspired just by, you know, people, doing things like that, just people making an effort. And so she, she reached out to several companies. She got responses back. She reached out, she looked at LinkedIn for um, licensing agents and she now has a licensing agent. So it can happen. You just have to make it happen. That's right. You have to do your research. You have to, and also part of what I talk about in our ink, my, my business book is, you know, do, do, do some legwork. Like, mm-hmm. is this a brand that actually is coherent with my style? Do they already mm-hmm. have work that looks too much like mine? Might right. I, might my work be a little, you know, uh, you know, be a duplicate of somebody else's, you know, so do your due diligence, um, do your homework. But, but yeah, don't be afraid to reach out. The worst thing that's going to happen is that somebody's going to write back. Well, first of all, no, it's possible no one will respond. Right. Um, that happens, it's also possible sure. somebody will say you're not a good fit, but they're right. probably not going to be rude about it. Um, and then, you know, and then that's that. Like, but you never know what could happen. I also, one last bit of advice is, you know, for, for connecting, I, I have, there's, there's, there's also another approach. So there's the like pursuing and, and kind of going for what you want. Um, but there's also, you know, if that, line from the, um, that baseball movie, oh, yeah. um, field of dreams, <clears throat> if you build it, they will come. And that was really my, yes. um, my, my, mm, kind of mantra in the beginning was like, I'm going to build an Instagram, uh, feed and a portfolio on my website. That is the work I want to get right. Make the work you want to get. So I just made a lot of work that I could imagine going, and I still do this to this day. Like I just licensed something else for a puzzle. And then two days later, I licensed the same piece of art for the cover of a planner. Nice. You know, I, I, I make work, personal work that I put out on Instagram and then companies write to me and they say, we'd love to put this on this product. And so, and it's for different markets. So I can do that. And it's really just this like, process of building a following, 
putting work out and then having people eventually just come to you and say, I'd really love to license this. Yeah. I really can't stress that, that enough. I mean, build, do the work you want to do and show us, show it to us. I mean, you're yeah. the best about doing that all the time, every day. And, and, and you're guiding your own path by doing that. So it's really not about, I mean, if you want to make Santa's and snowmen, there's certainly a market for that. But if you want to do your own work, be your own brand, put it out there. Make yeah. It. You know, it's funny. You should mention that. Like I, I always tell the story of the first time I ever went to Surtex, which I think maybe the first time I ever met you, but I, think so. um, I was, you know, represented by Lilla and Lilla has this big booth um, with all of her artists at Surtex. And um, I remember walking around and just being overwhelmed by how much amazing work there was in this, in the Javits Center, which is the big convention center in New York. And, and also just how much of it looked kind of the same, like if that year it was like mm-hmm. owls and llamas were on everything. Yes. And I just was like, how do you stand out? Like, I remember going I back, I tell this story in find your artistic voice. Like I literally went back to the place I was staying and, and, and cried, like, mm-hmm. how am I ever going to make it? How am I ever going to like, how am I ever going to stand out? How's anybody ever going to be interested in me? There's so many people trying to do what I do. And I know a lot of you listening can relate to I'm that. I'm so right? glad you're saying this. And um, I, you know, my, my wife's like sitting there patting me on the back and it's, it, you know, and I just woke up the next day and I was like, I get it. Like I need, I had been focusing so much on trends and following trend reports and like trying to fit in with this, you know, and I was like, I need to make work that's different than this. And I need to like follow my own gut about what, and that from literally from that moment on, I stopped looking at that stuff and I started looking at the stuff that was interesting to me and everything changed for me. Like I started putting energy into my work that was new and different. And I started, you know, being edgier and like taking risks. And that was when everything changed for me. And I, my career really started to take off. Mm -hmm. So, um, so lesson learned there. (laughs) Big one, huge one. And it, and it's something that comes up over and over again. And I think, Really, the more you can tap into to what lights you up and what you want to put out into the world, the, the, the more success you'll have. Yeah. Here's a good one. I like this one. Alexandra Snowden, who has a beautiful work herself. Do you have any tips for loosening up? I feel like my mm-hmm. style is a bit too tight. I, I, I fall into that trap as well. It's a good um, one. And actually digital drawing is my nemesis on that level because you can mm. work very quickly and very tightly. So there's this way that I force the kind of perf- the perfection that I could never achieve with analog materials. Um, yeah. So I, I actually have this class on, on creative bug and I'm not suggesting that Alexandra or anyone take this class, but it's old, but one of the <laughs> project, I can't remember which class it is, but one of the projects in the class, this is the class on creative bug is like keeping a messy sketchbook. And, um, and it's something that I'm, that I'm trying to get back into, but I, in the class, I get, you get like an old book from a thrift store. So it's not even a sketchbook. It's just like an old book. That's, you know, 
thick and has lots of pages and maybe look at the cookbook paper is really Mm. great because it's um it's often code coded Mm. and it's Mm. thicker because cookbook manufacturers or publishers know you're gonna get food and water on it stuff on it so and then just start drawing and painting inside those pages Um, so you're not starting with a blank canvas you can often play with whatever photos or pictures are on the page so you can do collage, um, you can um, uh, get pastels, um, acrylic paint, that kind of thing. Even with a regular sketchbook, if you're, if you're somebody who's not particularly overwhelmed by a, a, a totally blank spread, you know, just forcing yourself to draw like a child and like go abstract is often a way to like get mess- and you don't have to show anybody if it's right. if, if it's not your style but it's just a great way to have fun and and loosen up um i love what um jennifer orkin lewis uh does a lot of these exercises and she did like years of practice at this where she sets mm-hmm. her timer for 30 minutes and she just draws for 30 minutes and so sometimes she's trying to speed through because she wants to finish the thing in 30 minutes and sometimes she's just like lets it be Let unfinished it um, and that's another really great uh, exercise. Um, I'm actually um, developing a course right now on like working through creative block or working mm-hmm. through stiffness or, you know, or perfection. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. And um, so those are two of the activities um, that perfection. I'm going to recommend that's in the class. One. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's a lot of great recommendations out there, but those are, those are two that I've used and and love. Um, like a lot of people do warm-ups mm-hmm. in the morning where they either set a timer or they take one, you know, how, like, is anybody, I don't know if anybody who's listening has ever gone to uh, like a live drawing. I started doing live drawing this summer. Yeah. Talk about humbling experience, but um, <laughs> you know, where there's a live model, well, we can't really do that so much right now, but right. like um, this idea that like, there's these literally two minutes poses. So you have to try to sketch the the, the pose in two minutes mm. and then you turn the page and then there's like three more two minute sketches and then there's a five minute sketch and then there's a 10 minute sketch. And that was also really good for me. Like just trying to get it as finished as I could and as like as great as I could in five minutes and knowing that I wasn't going to get there if I was super tight, right? Like right. I had to really loosen up and I think that's another, like taking, taking classes where you're forced into out of your comfort zone are also great. Well, and that goes along with what you were saying about just doing something every day. I mean, if, Mm -hmm. if some, if you have a, an old book that you don't mind, you know, messing with it, it makes you play, you know, makes you, and then you you kind of want to get back in there and, and just give yourself like set that timer for 30 minutes. That's so important. I have a good one here from Lee that I think it kind of seg- segues. Um, Lee would love to learn where where do you receive inspiration from when working on a brief? For instance, you have all this client work and the well sometimes is like, Ugh. so when it's something specific that you have to work on, how do you kind of dial into that? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm working on a job that um, is pretty fast turnaround and it's designing something I've never designed before. And so that's all I can say because I signed an NDA, which means non-disclosure agreement. But, you know, and the art direction's pretty loose. They're like, do you, be you. And I'm like, ah, help. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> Don't tell me that. <laughs> tell me what to draw, especially because I only have two days to turn it around. Yeah. Anyway, so I got into it yesterday. I like loosened up and I'm, I'm getting into it, but um, you know, it's tricky, right? Because 
I, they did tell me, uh, they showed me a bunch of my work that they love and that they want me to kind of like riff off of. Yeah. But I like to always see what's already out there or get ideas. Um, Pinterest is really tricky because it's a great place to, it's a light, it's a library basically of like visual imagery. And I love Pinterest and I have a million Pinterest boards, although about 50% of them are private. Yeah. Um, Same. So, and you have to be really careful because, you know, you don't want to copy somebody else's work. Right. Even a photograph. Even a photograph. And so you got to be careful and judicious. And, you know, we've all made mistakes before, but like that is a, that's a tricky place to go. However, what I tend to pin are, I'm super inspired by mid-century graphic design Mm -hmm. and, um, and illustration. And so I tend to like to look at stuff that's older anyway. Um, And I have um, actually behind me, I have all of these stacks of books, which Margo can't see because I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in front of them, but I like collect graphics annuals from the 50s, 60s, and 70s, mm-hmm. and Graphis Annual was like a graphic design, um, like compendium that still exists, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And there were annuals where like the best of posters and advertising and illustration would get put into this book. And yeah, I love those. my, um, I, I'm so I, I have I have a collection of those, and sometimes I just look through those, and I'll mark pages that spark some idea in me for how to approach something. Um, And, you know, I end up trying to make it completely my own, but you have to, your brain has to get out of it, its box. And often the way to do that is to look at other art. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also have to be really careful to try to make that thing your own. And sometimes I'm just looking for a color palette inspiration. Sometimes I'm just looking for like how to arrange imagery. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'm just looking for composition. Sometimes I'm just looking for like how to approach um, things fitting together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so filling a page or filling a page um, or an element of something and I'm doing a product design right now. And so, or actual physical three-dimensional thing. And so I'm not looking at that three-dimensional object. I'm just looking at, you know, 2D stuff that I could potentially apply. Um, So I rely a lot on those old books um, and I do look at Pinterest um, and then I turn it off (laughs) Mm -hmm. before I go to my own iPad. Um, And, you know, a, a lot of times clients will provide you with imagery that um, is, is complimentary. Like I just did a, another job for another big brand and, um, they provided me not only with a mood board of my own work, but they provided me with a mood board, um, of, of work that they found out in the world that, that was the look and feel of what they were going for. Um, and that can often be helpful again, helpful, you know, be careful. And you can always ask for that too. Um, when you're working with a client. Yeah. And they often have so, that. I think that's good. Yeah. Um, Irena, Irena says, when do you know when that piece is finished? Is it a gut feeling <laughs> or more of a cerebral thing? Cerebral. Sorry. Well, <laughs> well I'm not, you awake. know, it's really, it's cerebral. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's different. Um, for me often with client work, the client tells me when it's done, right? Mm -hmm, Um, They'll say, this hasn't been pushed enough, or you actually push this too far, take these elements out, it's too busy, or we want this to be flatter and more graphic. Um, 
And, you know, you have to trust your gut. And the longer, that used to be one of the big questions for me. And it's, it's not a question I ask myself very much anymore because I have a tendency to know. In fact, when I look at older work, for example, I will say that's not done. Something mm. I thought was done, Interesting. I now say was not done. Mm. And that's actually one of the things that Lily used to tell me all the time. Mm. Like I would make personal work and then send it to her for her to put in my you know, portfolio of stuff that she could show potential clients. And she'd write me back and she'd say, these are all great, but you're, you're just getting started. You need, this isn't done. And, um, and I loved that feedback, be- even yeah. though it was frustrating often because she was right in 99% of those cases. Um, and so, and that doesn't mean that things have to be detailed and fleshed out. You know, sometimes the most sophisticated, amazing work is the simplest work. Um, it just, you have to get it exactly right. Um, yeah. And so I have learned to trust my gut about that. I also ask other people. So um, I'll say to my wife, Clay, um, is this done? Do you think this is done? Or I ask uh, my best friend, Jen, or you know, people I text with on a regular basis, what do you think of this? I don't have to do that very much anymore, but, but those are good ways also. And um, with personal work, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's not done because you can always go back to it later. I often get tired of working on something, but I'm still not sure it's done. And then I just put it away and come back to it later. And then I realize, oh, this does need to be fixed. You know, sometimes you have to just stare at stuff for a few days. And I think or weeks, things like our, or weeks, our mood changes that kind of where we are in our creative mm-hmm. path changes that answer. Just like you said, it's, it's, um, I would say too, it's just really read your gut and, you know, stop for a minute. Or I always like, do you do that thing where you have several going at once ever when you're doing your own? Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a, um, some people can't work that way, but I am a person who's working on, you know, two to 10 things at once sometimes. Yeah, I like that. I do that. I'm just, I'm going to insert, we have so many questions. There's not, we're not going to be able to get them to them all today, but I'm going to ask a few more and then we have a little, some, something else up our sleeve that we're going to share. Here's a good one for this time of year from Cynthia. Thank you. You are such an inspiration since we are in the time of year where we set goals. Cynthia would love to know if you have a system for setting goals, how do you decide on them and how do you stay that course? Yeah. So every new year's I do set goals and I tend to divide them into categories um, of, and I don't necessarily call them goals, although I don't really think it matters what you call them. Intentions, goals, aspirations, they're all basically the same thing. Right. And I like, I have like categories of my life that I think about. So health is one of them like well-being and health um, and athleticism. And so um, that's one category. Um, and for you, your categories might be different. Everybody's mm-hmm. categories are going to be different. And then I have like career goals. And then I have like personal work goals, like that aren't necessarily career related, like, but creative goals, creative goals, I guess you would call those. And you could, you could mesh those together with career goals, but, and then I've got uh, relationship goals for my relation, my primary relationship and, and friendships. And then there might be another category in there somewhere, but I also think sometimes it's smart to kind of categorize your goals, like into sub goals under whatever big categories you have. Like, you know, there might be some really realistic goals, like goals that you actually have control over things like being more organized Mm -hmm. or 
eating better or eating more healthy food or drinking less alcohol or making your bed every day, like whatever, like those are things any we have control over. Then there are the goals that are like aspirational, like illustrate my, get a, get my first children's book deal. You don't necessarily have control over that um, unless you self-publish, which is expensive or, you know, whatever, sign with an illustration agent. So I think it's good to separate those out and really focus your everyday energy on the things you have control over and then like in, in Art Inc, I talk about setting big goals mm-hmm. um, and then whittling down to, and that might even be aspirational, right? But then whittling down to the, the everyday tasks that are going to help lead you to that. So if one of your goals is to publish your first children or to get your first book deal, what does that require? It means right. you've got to have a manuscript and you've got to have a list of publishers that you're going to send it to. And and then underneath that, if you unpack that, what does it take to ha- to, to get to writing a, a manuscript for a children's book? Or, you know, maybe you need to take a class, maybe, you know, to join a critique group, maybe, you know. So goals always have sort of like associated things connected to them. If you're, if you're actually going to meet the goals, you actually have to show up and do the work. Right. And so, and that's going to look different. And, and that also begs this question, like, do I want to take on too many goals? Because, you know, you might have like five big goals, but it's only realistic to really focus on two in one year. So that's kind of like how I like to approach those things. Yeah. I think that's such a good way, you know, to kind of think of your categories and think of what those small steps are, call them goals that, that lead to that. And then take your organizational you know, course to realize there's only so many hours in the day. What, what, if you do those in categories and you have your health and your partnership and your, you know, the work goals you have, then you start to see kind of where you can go. So thanks for dipping into yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Here's a fun one. Um, Erica says, what's on your wish list? She has three good questions. What's on your wish list for the holidays? What are some of your all time favorite reads and what do you eat for fuel? First, when you are cycling wish lists for the holidays well I don't I actually okay so by the time this comes out it I well I've already announced this but Clay and I just bought a house at the beach so, so it's my excited. second home so it was a big goal of mine for many years to get a second property somewhere beautiful in nature where we could go relax and enjoy yeah. and replenish and, um, and like, I've had like an amazing couple of years financially. So we made it happen. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and so I already feel like I got my Christmas present. In mm-hmm. fact, Clay and I normally buy each other a lot of presents. And this year we said we're only spending $200 on each other, Love that. which is a lot of money still, but because we already like got the present that we both wanted. Yeah. And so I just, I think for the holidays, I just want to like move in and we're not going to be living there full time. It's just like a place to go like we may end up being there about half the year this year because of COVID, but eventually we'll rent it out and stuff like that. But anyways, I'm just like, I feel so grateful just to have that. And we're going to, it's going to be expensive and to fix it up and furnish it, but we are going to renovate it um, as well. So I'm just like, so thrilled. What was the second question? Do you have some favorite, what are your favorite reads? favorite novels right now I'm reading I'm sort of like in a weird space of reading books about politics I'm just finishing the the book about 
Donald Trump by Mary Trump, which is like, mm, mm-hmm. it's called something and never enough. I can't remember what that. Yeah. Out anyway, of my head, if, if you're, if you're a little bit obsessed with Trump's narcissism and although Mary Trump points, Mary Trump is Donald Trump's niece and she's like one of the sort of naysayers in the family, but, uh, but she, she wrote this great, and she's also a psychologist. So she wrote this great book, sort of like deconstructing his personality and the way that he is, yeah, the way that very he is. But anyways, yeah, it's super interesting. <clears throat> and then I'm also reading this book called Hate Mongers by Jean. Oh gosh, I can't remember her last name. And it's about Stephen Miller, who is Trump's sort of wingman. And he's this young guy from Santa Monica, California, who basically authored the immigration bill. And so I, I know, I know that's not very like romantic of me or like you know, I'm not like, I'm a, I'm so interested in what's happening in the country in the United States right now. Like I'm so interested in how did we get to this place where we're so divided? I always learn from, learn from you because you pull things into your stories that make me go like, Oh, what is that about? And I really, I just highly appreciate your, how plugged in you are to what's important and what's human and humane and yeah. And, and so that's why I'm, I also love a good, you know, carefree novel. And I, sure. <laughs> I've had a few on my desk, but, um, but that's what I'm reading right now. And then there was a question, what do I eat to fuel before a bike ride? Re- regular, regular food before, but, um, you know, they make food that is like goo, a goo and like, um, that you like suck up and like bars and, all the things you would expect, um, like little gel gummy things, little Justin's peanut butter packs. Yep, exactly. All the things you would expect. Yeah, that's good. I, there's a couple more things, but I thought I would segue into what Lisa and I have been talking about. There's a question about Mari asks, what are the five key things you would recommend for an artist and illustrator to focus on to grow as an artist? Now that's a huge question and one you are are adept at answering. But one of the things that that Lisa and I have been tossing back and forth is having Lisa come on the podcast as a regular to specifically speak to these things, specifically speak to one topic at a time and dig in deeply. Um, you know, what business as an artist, artist, you know, as a business person topics. And do you want to speak to that a little bit, Lisa, about? Yeah, we have this idea that, um, you know, one of the questions I get and that Margo gets so often are questions about aspects of of running a creative, being a creative entrepreneur and how we can grow as creatives, problem solving around specific issues, getting information about how to launch a project. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many topics. And so yeah. I was thinking, because Margo was like, I, you know, I'd, I'd like you to be a regular part of this podcast. And I was like, let's figure out how to make sort of topical episodes where we, you know, if you're interested in producing products or you're interested in time management, or you're interested in building your portfolio, if you're interested in, um, you know, combating burnout, that we would do episodes, um, you know, every couple of months that focused on one specific issue. So if you're interested in that, you tune in. If you're not interested, you know, you just come to to the next one. Yeah. And it's not just us blabbing about everything under the sun, like we did today. Not that that's not fun, but I do think there's something about topic specific podcasts that I personally love because I'll skip over the ones that 
I'm not that interested in and home in on the ones that will, I know will resonate for me. I agree. Even looking at the, you know, the, I've gotten such great response, but the analytics show that those that hone in on a certain topic that that's going to help move a business forward or, or, you know, help a, help your creative block or whatever it is, that's where people are tuning in. So we plan to bring that to you. Yeah. And um, we'll, we'll sort of collectively be collecting information about um, what, what you want to hear about. All these questions will, um, because there's more than I could, uh, could ask today will be shared. (laughs) And, and Mario, we might start with that one. And I'm going to save that for a, a, because I think that's a perfect long topic. Um, But you can certainly reach out and, and leave um, those thoughts either with me or with Lisa in our, in our DMs, you know, certainly go to windowsill chats and let me know that. Um, One of the questions that I love to ask every guest is who's inspiring you right now? Give me three if you Mm -hmm. have them. Okay. Abel Maciel, his Instagram is Abel Mac, Mm -hmm. A-B-E-L-M-A-C, I think. I'll look it up Um, and have it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. He is so prolific. Talk about loose, but also amazing. Like his color palette, he shares his process. He's kind of, I'm just, if I could be anyone right now, it would be him. Like I just am so inspired by his work. Mm. He lives in LA and, but he travels a lot to Mexico and um he and i think other potentially other countries and he's constantly posting like his inspiration images his work that comes out of them he works both sculpturally and on paper i actually just bought a few of his originals and i'm really excited to frame them um uh, i also adore lindsay stripling she, she, she's the one who turned me on to case for making watercolor. She uses them mm. and she, she used to teach through them. I don't, she might still, um, she also teaches a lot of watercolor classes herself, um, through her own network. Um, and she might have some classes on creative bug for a while. I don't know if she's still doing them. She was doing these like lunchtime chats where she would do live stream on Instagram and, um, paint and either just talk about stuff that was interesting to her and answer questions on Instagram live. Um, or sometimes she has guests on, um, she's like an incredibly kind person, extremely talented. Nice. Her voice is so developed and unique. Mm. Um, I also own some of her work in my house. I just adore her and I'm continually inspired by her and her talent. Um, Oh my gosh. I inspired by so many people. This is so hard. (laughs) Let me just think of one more person. I I love the work of Simone Wilder. She's an illustrator and letterer. And I was fortunate enough to collaborate with her Mm. and another illustrator on a a Biden uh, live event where we like made these three Biden posters in the like they called it telephone. So we like each started a poster design. We, they gave us the phrases ahead of time. Yeah. And then we passed them on kind of like an exquisite corpse. And then the next person did it for 15 minutes and the next person fit. And we, we had three complete posters at the end. Love that. And Simone was one of the people and she's an incredibly talented letterer. And she's also like me passionate about social justice and the political landscape and is really outspoken. So um, she's just another one that I, I think is amazing. So I could go on and on. I'm inspired by so many people. 
I know every day I just, you know, I, I really have to set my timeline on the Instagram and, and the places <laughs> no, right? I find people. Because <laughs> Go down rabbit holes. <laughs> it is the deep <laughs> rabbit hole for sure. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. I can't wait to come back. And I have one. I, you don't have to answer this, but I just said, our dear Kristen Schmancy Toys says, just ask her why she's the coolest. Just ask her. <laughs> Kristen, Kristen, by the way, Kristen, <laughs> speaking um, of the coolest, Kristen, thinking of the coolest, Kristen was the person who gave me my first art show in 2006. Ah, uh, there you go. She owned a store called Schmancy and in Seattle. And like, I had my first show there and Kristen and I have remained friends ever since. And Kristen's an extremely important part of my history and and my journey. So I'm glad you still feel that way, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) I love you too. (laughs) For sure. So stay tuned. We will, I'll be, we'll be letting you know, but it's probably going to be every few months. And I'm just really excited. I feel like Lisa has so, you have so much to offer. You're such a thinker and you've been through the mill and you and I both have a ton of experience and and the whole reason that I'm doing this podcast and that you put your books and your so much out into the world is to help other people um, get there. So thank you. Yeah. I'm, I just adore you and what you put out into the world. And I'm lucky in my friends, rich in my friends. I feel the same way, Margo. So thank you. I'm really excited about our future conversations. Me too. And thanks for this today. And every, thanks everybody for all your questions. There were, we could have gone about four hours, I think easily. <laughs> So that was great. Next time. Next time. We will be back. Thanks, everyone. And we have come to the end of another recording of windowsill chats thanks so much for being here with me i value your time and i just hope you've gotten as much out of this as i have it's just so great to be able to bring you these conversations and these friends and these wonderful people that i have met along the way so if you're so inclined another reminder to subscribe and jot down a review for me wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have any questions or want to check out more details that we talked about, head over to the show notes at tantalstudio.com. I look so forward to seeing you again next week. Have a good one, everyone. 